This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Mavericks. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio by Evan Grant, who's not paying any attention to us, and David Moore. And joining us is the Texas Sportscaster of the Year, none other than our own Mark Followell. Mark, how are you? Good, Kevin. Pleasure to be with you guys. Pleasure to be talking to the Texas sports writer of the year, although apparently he's not paying attention, but hopefully we'll, uh, hopefully the mere mention of that will snap him back to reality. Well, all he has done is talked about it all day. We're trying to avoid the topic at the moment. We yeah. want to focus on your award, Mark. Oh, wait, are we talking Here's about the Texas sports now writer comes of the to year life. award? Oh, God. <laughs> Good. You, you know, when, when I want it, when I want it, uh, Evan was like, you know, no one cares about that anymore. And then now he's, he's actually tweeting it out. Tweeting it out about winning that award. <laughs> well, when you won it, Kevin, they, they teletyped it out. No. I believe that was the last... Two years. How many, how many times have you won? Three. Three? It, I think two and a half is really what you should call it, since you had to share it with Kirk Bowles. That's the over-under. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I believe, well, I believe I'm still leading you at five, pal. Well, I, I wrote a note about Travis Frederick having labrum surgery. <laughs> Way to go, David. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, you go, David? Move, moving on from that. I knew Mark would appreciate my contribution. Mark, we want to talk to you about this uh, this Mavericks team and what the heck it has done this year in finding Luka Doncic, who is who, who is. I'm going to ask you this: Is he how much better is he than you thought he was going to be? Oh, significantly better. Um, the the number that's that's well, not just the number. There are a couple of numbers that are better than I thought that they would be, and that is, I did not expect him to be hovering in the neighborhood of seven rebounds. That's nice, and that's impressive, but that's not nearly as exciting to everyone as the points. The passing was talked about, and having a good assist number, which basically has been uh, hovering around five assists a game now for quite some time. It started out a little bit lower than that, but it's built up to five. That number isn't the surprise, but the surprise is the amount of points per game. Uh, the flair for how he gets them in terms of uh, scoring in bunches and particularly being efficient in late-game situations at a level that any player in the league, no matter how long he's been in the league, would be pleased with. But to be doing it as a 19-year-old rookie and uh, to be shooting that well in these end-of-game situations is, quite frankly, extraordinary. And the thing that strikes me, too, is not just the flair, but because there are a lot of players in this league that, are, that have a flamboyant style or, or your eyes are drawn to them, but often, especially the young guys, they have to force the action to do it. They have to force their athleticism into the game. I, I don't, there are very, very few players who have come into this league 
at that age who let the game come to them in the way that Doncic seems to let the game come to him? Yeah, I, I think uh, another way I would put that, and I, I, I agree with what you're saying on that, last week there was a game, for instance, where the Mavs won against the Phoenix Suns. And during the telecast, uh, Derek and Skin and I talked about the fact that he seemed to have a real feel that night that this was a night where he had to look to be the primary scorer. And look, there are other nights when he's done that as well, but I thought it was painfully evident this particular night against Phoenix. The rest of the team was not doing anything in the first half, and to keep the team connected, he had to be a primary number one scoring option, no doubt about it, taking a vast majority of the shots, it felt like, because everybody else was struggling. And I think for a 19-year-old player to have that sort of recognition of, this is what my team needs, I'm going to try to go do it and to be able to do it and it to be able to be not just uh, you know something subtle but something as obviously as important as the rest of the guys are off tonight. I've got to be out here looking to score. That was that was pretty unique and it's not something that you see out of a player who's 19 years old and this inexperienced as it relates to NBA basketball. And so I guess we always you know we we, we keep saying it uh, and and it does deserve mention here in this discussion. Clearly, his experience of playing with what people would, I think, characterize as the 31st best basketball team in the world in Real Madrid and playing the high level of competition because, you know, those guys do play uh, big-time important games and much like European soccer clubs do, they do it in multiple competitions concurrently with their domestic league and then a domestic cup knockout competition and, of course, the Euro League, which is basketball's equivalent of Champions League uh, that exists in soccer where the best domestic teams from all across the continent compete. I think uh, his experience in playing in those situations has clearly accelerated his development and prepared him for the things that he's doing here. You know, and I, I agree with that. And, uh, and of course, that was the big conversation coming in, I, what, you, what you heard. Now you, you hear people saying, oh, look at that, that was a great benefit. I heard people making the other argument that, oh, well, you know, I don't know how good those guys are. I mean, which is, was, was a ridiculous argument on my, you know, because, look, it's clearly a better league than the NCAA is. So when, when you're coming out of that, you're clearly going to be better. But I will say this, uh, watching him play, I think it's more than that. I think this guy just has a gift. I, I believe that this guy, when he's on the floor and he makes a decision on something he's going to do, when I watch him I'm, and he makes that decision, I'm thinking this is going to work out because – because he, he believes in it. I, I think this is a guy, when he makes decisions about what he wants to do, he knows he can make He has the utmost confidence that he can do this thing, and this is going to work out. And that's what great players do. And I, and yeah, I, think, deci- I, I, th- I just yeah, think I'm that he sorry. has that. Yeah, decisiveness. Look, decisiveness is extremely important in the DNA and ability to succeed of any player. Uh, as you guys all know, I mean, you know, we're, we have uh, the breadth of the sports world covered in this conversation. You know, you guys have all covered football, baseball, basketball, uh, you know, written about hockey, written about soccer, I mean, all along, you know, all, all across the spectrum and individual sports as well. And you guys know that decisiveness is the key and indecision is, you know, always going to be something that typically leads to a bad thing happening if you're indecisive and hesitate out on the floor, we, we know that the results usually aren't going to be very good. And there is certainly no argument to be made that uh, about Luca's level of decisiveness and things that he does. And that means sometimes things aren't always going to work out, even though I, I like what you had to say about it, Kevin, that, that, that you feel like watching it and 
he certainly does things with the idea that they're going to work out. They clearly aren't always going to do that, but I think you live with that. And, and you know, if I may borrow from uh, a coach that I like to read about a lot, if we're going to go really old school here, I've read books that uh, have been written about or written by John Wooden as it relates to player success in basketball. And one of the things he always pointed out was even many, many, many years ago when you would think no coach would be accepting of turnovers, Wooden always said, look, you can go stand in the corner and not turn the ball over. You know, you can be a low turnover guy if you're not trying to do anything. I can accept turnovers from a player who's trying to do something. And as we know, clearly Luca is definitely trying to do something in his time out there. From from a temperamental standpoint, again, it, it's so young in his career, but the but the praise has been universal. It has come from all all corners, all sectors. You hear LeBron James, you hear uh, Steve Kerr, you hear um, Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry. Uh, everyone is talking about this guy and is enamored with him. What have you seen about him? Will he be able to handle all of this and not let it go to his head? Will it not give him an inflated sense of who he is as a player when you have so much positive reinforcement uh, this early in his career from what you've seen and know of him? Fantastic question. Really is. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Evan and Kevin, that I uh, you know, noted David for his fantastic Yeah, question. me too. Because uh, <laughs> now David's here. for a great question later, too. David's um, now inflating now, just like he said. <laughs> so I was asked something along these lines recently in one of my visits with the guys on the ticket. And they said, tell us something, because everything seems like it's already been said to say about him. Tell us something that nobody has really noted and talked about. And I said, well... Watching him at practices, he seems like someone who just wants to be part of the team, and that means fit nicely into the team environment, uh, be someone who is willing to uh, take the ribbing and grief from your teammates and the banter that's going to happen in a locker room, especially when you're a rookie, but uh, also be strong enough not just to take it, to be able to give it back a little bit too. And I think that within the team structure in terms of fitting in with what it's like in a locker room and the banter and the relationship with teammates, that would be the one thing that probably other people don't get to see, that at least to some small degree, not that I'm around it all the time, of course, but at least some small percentage of the time I get to see that, and he certainly seems to handle himself and carry himself very well in that regard. But if you don't believe me, I would point to... Uh, the esteemed Brad Townsend was there on uh, Friday night when a question was asked in Minnesota before the game, and and, and he would corroborate this as well. Something was asked about uh, all of the attention that Luka is getting, and Rick said, well, he doesn't want all of the attention. He doesn't want things to be about him. He is interested in the success of his teammates. He's all about the team, and he wants things to be about the team and the other players and the success of the team and not him. So I think that probably speaks volumes and, and answers the question from you know a much more authoritative figure on the subject in Rick than, than what I would have to say about it. But I, I see a lot of positive signs in terms of being grounded, understanding the importance of the team concept and that the individual is not more important than the team. And again, I would say that probably at least in, to, to some degree stems from already being within a men's team concept and not necessarily being within a team concept of younger players 
where it's all about, hey, we have to make sure that we keep the young kid, the, the young phenom happy and, and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing that you might see happen at, at younger levels of basketball. He's already been uh, in a state where he's been with older players, more experienced players, and been uh, you know uh, introduced into that way of thinking and understanding how important the team concept is. And, and by the way, that's, that's another thing about Europe. You guys were, were talking about Europe and people being skeptical about it. The one thing that I think you have to understand about European basketball mentality and really European sports mentality is that, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the games are shorter over there and the rotations are different and the team concept and spreading things around. And, you know, you're not producing inflated. Your stars don't play as many minutes. Because, yeah. 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 Exactly. So they're just. There are differences about it, and so you know it's a long answer to your to your question, and I think there's a lot of moving parts to it. But the bottom line is, I would point to over anything else I've just said, what Rick said last Friday night in Minnesota about what he wants it to be about, and that's about the team. And to, and to follow up with that, from from a from what Luca does from a team dynamic standpoint, for all of those things that you just described, on, on top of where he is uh, as a player. And now let's take that and also go from the marketing standpoint as well and put those two together. It, it, it seems to me with his high level of performance and his attitude, he's making this what is probably Dirk's last year, the transition to life without Dirk, more palatable on the court, not as painful for Dirk. You're not focusing as much on what Dirk is not doing now because you have a guy in place. And and it's really, in a lot of ways, kind of easing uh, the, the, the scrutiny or, or focus on Dirk in this final, what uh, will probably be the final chapter of his career. And it, it's really soft, soft peddling that, if you will, where um, you don't know how how painful some of these nights would be otherwise for Dirk if if you didn't have Luke in place. I think the focus would be more on, oh, people hate to see Dirk going out this way. Yeah, I haven't thought about it necessarily in those terms, but I do think that's a very good point. That that clearly, uh, you know, he has uh, you know the the whole concept of a uh, of of a rising tide lifting all boats, and you know everybody I think is is. Uh, you know, there there is a more positive shine and spin on everything because of you know all the things surrounding Luca. Um, but but you know the one thing about Dirk is that he is the ultimate in it being about the team as well. Sure. And you know, despite his struggles, I mean, nobody wants to be out there playing better than he does, uh, as we all know and all understand. And I think uh, you know the one thing that we we still see is that even with uh, the struggles, uh, the great thing about if it is, in fact, the last year, is the outpouring of love every time the guy steps on the floor in a game at home is, you know, almost, uh, uh, you know, gives you goosebumps and a spine tingling because it's just not used to being in a situation where every time a guy comes into the game, he's basically getting a standing ovation. And then not just that, um, you know, the, the things that have happened on the road. So, so Luca is certainly making it easier from an attention standpoint uh, and, and not as much of any sort of, backlash on dirt for things not going as well as he would have hoped, but I would hope there wouldn't be any of that anyway. Uh, but the great thing about what we're seeing with Dirk is, you know, the, the love and appreciation and respect for uh, what his game has been and what he's meant to the game and the, and the changes in it and uh, that he's just been the, the consummate professional and the consummate teammate. I think uh, 
the entire NBA world is recognizing that, and and it is cool to see the the amount of attention he's getting in that regard. So uh, he, he's been to me the the great thing about this season and with Luca is that uh, you, you know we went into the season thinking that oh if the Mavs are the Mavs a French playoff team I don't know you know I, possibly probably not uh, and and they they've been pretty much that but there's been a lot of talk about can they still get into that uh, to me it's all been a little bit of a moot point because you have found a foundational player here, and this is what the the franchise needed to do, and that was, for me, enough for this season. But what we're seeing now is a lot of talk about um, uh, at the trade deadline, uh, will Dennis Smith Jr. still be a Maverick after that? Um, you know, and, and you would think that the, the cause for that is not just short-term and not just trying to get into the playoffs, but that thinking that maybe, maybe this isn't exactly – Working out in this formula here, uh, do you what? What do you expect will will happen here by the trade deadline? Well, I would also, you know, beyond that part of it, I would like to chime in on the the notion of the playoffs and that sort of thing, and what we what we all thought and think about what is is possible. Um, you know, I, I told the guys on the ticket on the hard line when I go on every week at the beginning of the year that if if you could just be in the neighborhood of five hundred, I, I think people forget how big of a jump it is to go from 24 wins to 41 wins. That's a huge jump. Right. And anything even in that ballpark, um, and my reasoning, by the way, for picking 500 was it's it's obviously an easy number to pick. And two uh, is last year they lost an NBA record 34 games that were decided by seven points or less. So my, my theory was, well, if you could just be good in close games and erase half of those, then you go from 24 to 41 wins, which would be a giant jump and something that would be a smashing success for the organization. 41 wins is not going to get you into the playoffs in the Western Conference. No. The unfortunate thing is it would make you on the knocking on the doorstep of a home court advantage, maybe. It's not quite that bad in the East, but uh, they only have six teams that are over 500. Uh, so it would... It would have you a lot closer than, than it ever should have to be 500 over in the Eastern Conference. But anyway, I thought that, that a season like that would be, would be, and still think so, by the way, that anything close to that in the high 30s would be a smashing success and would also be something that would line up with the performance and timeline of other great players in their first year in the league. Uh, you know, I think David was on the NBA beat full-time back then and can remember that in Shaq's first year, as dominant of a player as Shaq was the first year for Orlando, it only took them from being a low-20s win team to a 41-win team. I believe uh, Orlando was 41-41 and in Shaq's first year there. Uh, LeBron did not make the playoffs his first two seasons. I think he went from a 17-win Cleveland team prior to his arrival to a 35-win team uh, in their first year. So the timeline often for these transcendent players, if in fact Luka is going to be one or at least in that conversation, uh, and that's an awful lot to put on the young man, but, but clearly we see some special things there. But if he's going to be in the conversation for among you know really, really good, high-level, all-star, multiple-time kind of players, then to expect that the first year isn't necessarily going to be successful in terms of wins and losses to get you to the playoffs, that still lines up with the with the timeline of a lot of these other great players. So that's the first thing I wanted to say to your to your thought and your question, Kevin, is that um, you know, a, a year close to five hundred would would I think be good. 
Uh, by the way, I asked Rick at uh, Media Day if if he would share what he thought a successful season would be, not expecting to get the thorough answer that I did because I figured there's no way a coach is going to put a number on it. And he didn't put a number on it, but he did say he thought for this team to be playing meaningful games in March to survive the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations of a long and winding NBA season to um, you know, be in a position to play meaningful games in March would be a success for the team. And I still think that that is... And barring a collapse, that would be the case. I'm sorry? Uh, barring a collapse that we haven't seen to this point, that will be the case. They will have... Yes. They'll be at least close enough on the periphery for the seventh, eighth spot that they will have yeah. meaningful games in March. Yeah, and that, and that would be a good thing, and that would meet the preseason goal established by the head coach. As far as what I expect to happen between now and the deadline... Um, I, I think the doors are open for business, but I think that any business that is conducted will be with the mindset of who and how are we building around a franchise centerpiece moving forward. I think it's it's fair to characterize that every player evaluation in terms of who does or doesn't work here will be made with the idea that we're building a team that is the best possible fit around Luka Doncic for the here and the immediate future and the long-range future, to whatever degree you can have long-range future thinking in the NBA these days. And it seems to me the determining factor on that is not, it is not just necessarily what they think of, of, of Dennis Smith Jr. as a player. It would be um, his value may never be higher than it is right now when other people aren't sure how we would incorporate him if he could or couldn't going forward. You know, we have a better idea how we can build this team now. Uh, is Dennis Smith Jr.'s value higher right now than it would be one year from now when maybe teams go, well, we don't think that's going to work out? Does that make sense? It makes sense. And and I would say, look, I like Dennis a lot. And, you know, not to say that I've got to be buddy-buddy with him or anything like that. I don't mean to infer that. But in watching him here for a year and a half, I have uh, a lot of, uh, like and respect for him and a believer in his talent. And, you know, he's, uh, despite all the rumors that are out there, he's still a part of the team and, and I think highly of him. So I don't want to get into like a whole lot of talking about, uh, the, the notion of him not being here while the guy is still here. I think, like I said, sure. just think too highly of him to, to engage in a whole lot of that. But I mean, I think your point is correct that, yeah, his value, uh, you know, to me, it's like he's on a rookie contract. Okay. So, so that's a good thing. So I don't think that you have to rush your timeline of decision-making. But I believe that your, your point is value. There is value in your point that, sure, every, every month that you inch towards the end of a rookie contract, being on that contract becomes theoretically less valuable to the place that he's going to. But, but, but I think the bottom line, too, is that anytime you start making decisions and making evaluations where you feel like that, uh, you know, there's there's a there's a huge risk whenever you think that uh, you've got to you know be working the phones because of a 21 year old uber talent. You know, I, we've and we've seen this before, by the way. It's been a long time, but uh, you 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 know there is certainly such a thing as giving up on somebody far too early. So um, no question, you know, uh, you know, whatever, whatever happens with it, I guess we're going to find out in the the days and weeks and months uh, you know ahead. Yeah, and this wasn't an indictment on him or his play or really his ability to work with Luca. in my mind. It was yeah. more just from a value standpoint. It would seem to be at its highest point 
right now for the foreseeable future was more that, yeah, that's probably a better way to phrase it than I clumsily did earlier. No, you didn't. You didn't clumsily. You, no, you no, clumsily I, I was saying it, 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 it was clumsy. It was very clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a clumsy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, no, I, I do agree with that point. That that any time you have a contract situation, and and you know, my own perspective of it is because you have a contract situation. I don't think you need to rush your decision making process, and that thought can be right. But your thought can be right as well, which is the other side of the the argument. There is, however, anytime you step toward the end of a contract situation, then the value of cost control and being on a slotted rookie deal, the value of that to another team, you know, lessens just a tiny bit for for every day or week that passes. So, you know, I think there's I think there's something to be said for both of our lines of thinking on this, for sure. Yeah, but here's my problem with that is that uh, you're trying to uh, – a team like the Mavericks are in right now, look, they're not going to get anything out of this next draft. Uh, they're going to they're gonna lose the draft pick uh, that they gave up to get uh, Luka in the first place, uh, which I didn't have any problem with that. Uh, I'd rather have Luka Doncic and be minus a, a first-round draft pick than, than have Trey Young. Uh, right. Not that I think Trey Young's not going to be a nice player. I just think he's, a, he's just a nice player. Um, is that you're trying to accumulate as much talent as you can. So you, you've got a, 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 a point guard you took with the ninth pick last year. you got a, 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 a who looks like a generational player to me uh, that you got with your first pick this year. Um, and Now, if you're, if you're making a move, uh, it, it almost seems to me like you, you've made a decision. If, if they make a move, it, it's like you've made a decision that this guy is just not the right fit for, for what you got here, and we're going to have to go a different direction. If, if they're able to make that determination right now, well, then more power to them. And certainly they know more about, a, lot, a lot more about it than I do. My feeling is, is that, you know, listen, just as you said, this is going to be really hard for them to make the playoffs. You know, I'm not saying that they can't or they won't, and then maybe if they made a move that they could. I'm just not sure that that's the right move long-term for this team. And, and I, I would like to see Dennis play the rest of this season at least just to give you an idea, can, because he has missed a lot of time because of injuries, uh, can he play together with Luka? This, this has been the issue from day one since they made the trade. How is this going to work out, these two guys playing together? Because we know that Dennis likes to have the ball in his hands. I think he's, learn, he's learning a different way to play, uh, and, and I think he's learning that, that he may be able to maximize his uh, tremendous physical talent and, and, and learn how to, to incorporate that into a, a team structure and, and maybe, maybe make it a little different. Maybe they see something there that I don't, and maybe they feel like that, that has already been made. But I just feel like you made that investment just last year on this guy. Uh, he was pretty good as a rookie. Uh, it's been a little bit iffy this year, but mostly because of the injuries and mostly because you're trying to assimilate a, a different team. This is a team now where going into the season, Harrison Barnes was the best player on the team, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and now everybody had to to step back and realize, and that's a, that's a hard thing for players, you know, uh, that well this guy's better, you know, Luca's the best player on the team now. So uh, this is a team also with with very small egos on it. Not a lot of guys who were, uh, you know, really, and I think that's another thing to consider. That's a pretty good team concept uh, and, and something that you can really work with. So I, I, I just feel like that I'm, unless somebody's going to knock me over with a deal, 
and maybe that's what they're they're trying to see. If you're going to knock us over, okay, great. But we're not giving this guy away. I mean, to me, this is a guy that that I'd be happy to keep and happy to see what he can do this year and maybe even next year as well. Yeah, I, I hey man, I, there's not a whole lot I could add to what you're saying there, Kevin. I, I agree with you, and I don't think that you need to be in a rush. And call me crazy, but but I've not bought into the whole idea of um, you know how is it going to work with you know two guys who are used to having the ball in their hands because nobody has the ball in their hands all the time out there. And I think one of the things that we see in terms of what works in the league now is you have to have multiple shot creators, you have to have multiple stars, you have to have multiple people who can attack, and the the as great as what's happening right now is in Houston with James Harden playing at extraordinary levels, and some of the uh, unbelievable numbers that Westbrook has put up in Oklahoma City over the last couple of seasons, and those numbers have gone down this year as Paul George is getting more tuckered and putting up bigger numbers than he did last year, and, and Melo's out of the mix, but, but, but the point is that the, the formula for success in the NBA, albeit these, these players like Harden and Westbrook have put up stunning numbers in the past, the formula is not, it's all, all the shot creation and ball handling and all that sort of stuff is heaped on the shoulders of one guy. If you do that, then when you get to the playoffs, that then becomes a problem. And could you win a series doing that? Yeah, we've seen that. But what, you know, the most successful time for Russell Westbrook as a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder the most successful time for James Harden in terms of team success with the Houston Rockets on individual numbers is when he's on the floor and there is another playmaker out there. For Russ, it was Kevin Durant, who's a playmaker and shot creator and obviously shot taker and maker. And in the case of Harden, the thing jumped forward whenever Chris Paul was part of the mix last year. Um, and that was clearly the best team that they've had and, you know, were, 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 I think going to the NBA Finals, quite frankly, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt during the conference finals against Golden State. So, you know, the idea that you can only have one ball handler and one shot creator and one guy out there with the ball in his hands, I've never bought into that. You have to have, in this NBA, multiple people who can make things happen with the ball and create shots for themselves and draw the attention that opens up shots for other players. And have you also seen Dennis be receptive to working on that phase of his game off the ball to improve there? And is that something that he has willingly uh, approached to expand his game? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And he's worked on the defensive side of the ball. You guys have probably seen the two big plays to me that stand out were a block against Tobias Harris in the Clippers game and the play against Paul George, even though it wasn't a block shot, it was really good defense and forced a difficult contested shot that Paul George missed in the game that the Mavs and Thunder played on uh, December 30th at American Airlines Center. So not only working on the off-ball aspects of being a cutter and a mover and giving the ball up and trusting that it can get back to you in an even better situation on the offensive side, but he's also worked to make himself a better defensive player. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Dennis has bought into the concepts and you know, wants to, to be part of this team moving forward. That's a lot of things that uh, you know, make me believe that he realizes that there is, as Kevin said, a generational player here. And, and the most optimal scenario for him is to be part of a team alongside a player like that because there are you know, great potential down the road for that being really, really successful in terms of winning. 
Mark, it's been great having you on. We're we're sorry that you couldn't uh, take some questions from Evan. Evan's just been puttering around here. He's got a, he's got some breaking news, he's, and he's been pouting since we were lauding you on your award and ignoring his. <laughs> so he just got up and left shortly after that. But we'd like to say well, that, that that's much deserved at your award. In your case, yes. Well, thank thank you, thank you very much. And uh, as soon as they get off the phone, I guess I'll be uh, refreshing Twitter to see what sort of breaking news that Evan Grant is covering that he's covering in that thorough Texas Sports Writer of the Year way that he does. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, that's enough of you now. We'd love to have you back very soon, Mark. Yes, yes, anytime. I love chatting with you guys, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, in all sincerity, appreciate the uh, the very kind words and support. It means a lot. Uh, recognition from your peers in this business, as you guys know, is uh, you know a, a wonderful thing, and and very very appreciated. So thank you so much. You betcha. All right, from Mark. There goes Always Mark Fallowell. Oh, and here comes Evan Grant. Evan just. Oh no, he said no. He can't talk. No, oh, okay. no, no, Evan. Uh, I, I do want to just say though, you know, we're putting Mark on the spot when we ask him about Dennis Smith Jr. You know, sure. and getting traded. Uh, and, and I, Brad and Townsend just posted a story saying that it would be surprising at this point if Dennis Smith is not traded. Yeah, I, I you know, I would be, I would be surprised by that too. I just, I, I don't see it. I'm, I'm surprised every time. Well, it's I a very see good the conversation because it's very young in his career, and yeah. the guy is working on the things that would make him more compatible with. And he's not he's not a problem in the in the club in the Doesn't locker room. You know, he's a, I was told that this is a team where the biggest personality on it is uh, is DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre, yeah. And uh, and of course we we read that there was a problem early on, and then DeAndre was wanting all the rebounds, and apparently somebody had to talk to him about that, and 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 so that, and apparently that got worked out. Mm-hmm. And and you know, because here's here's the thing, and and you know this how this works. Uh, Harrison Barnes is a pretty accomplished player. Dennis Smith Jr. is the the big stud rookie from the year before, and they're putting a lot of hope into. So they draft sure. they draft uh, Luka Doncic, and he comes in, and and you know I don't know how that dynamic was working right away. Here's a guy coming from another country, and uh, you 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 don't know how that's going to go. Luka's certainly got an ego. You can you can see it on the floor. You can see when it's gotten a little chippy for him a few times. People are trying to make him pay for for being the player that's that he is. Sure, exactly. And, do, and there's, an, there's an initiation that test. goes on there. They're Absolutely. testing to see how he responds. Absolutely, they are. And he's responded pretty well to all that. But, you know, players can be resentful for that. You know there's players in the NBA that if, if Luka Doncic came into this team and got the role and, 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 and got what he has uh, received so far, that they'd be resentful of it. And players, even if they say they're not resentful of it and they understand it, and Luca is deserving of it, when that is all you hear day after day after right. day, there are going to be some days where you're going, please stop. That's enough. I get it. That's I enough. get it. And that's not, that's just human nature. That's very hard to ignore. And, and that's what I was getting at with Mark. It's just, it's so effusive and so constant. And not saying it's not warranted, but but he's the new you know he's the new kid on the block and he's getting all this attention and everyone wants to at some point that turns on you and there's a little sure. bit of a backlash and then sure. it's on you as an individual and a professional how you handle it yeah and they all seem to be handling it well right now they, but it's just are. going to continue it's not going to stop anytime soon no it is not and uh, i just think that what you're going to i think that if the mavericks are barring any kind of injury or, or something that happened 5 years from now people are going to look back and say of course this was his team of course he's the you know they they built this team around him this is he's their 
He's clearly one of the best players in the NBA. Why wouldn't this have happened? But the initial effort of making that happen is always a little bit different. Uh, I think it's already happened. I think they are all conceding that, but you're right. And it reminds me of a time I was out the, at the Nelson, and, and this was after a young man had really started to make his case as the best player uh, on the tour. And I went to Davis Love III to ask him about Tiger Woods, and he said, I think we covered that quite enough by now, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what you had. You had that their turn. Now again, a lot of that was also Tiger's demeanor and how he dealt right. with his peers. And there, there are other, there are so many factors that go into all this. But yeah, Luca's approach, as Mark touched on, I think is certainly minimizing yeah. any initial backlash to all of the positive feedback he is getting. Yeah, I think the bottom line for me with the Mavericks this season is that it's already a success. This yes. was a great success. That you you have, exceeded expectations already this season. Because here's the thing: when people we, we talk about Dirk Nowitzki and all right, who's the next Dirk? Hey, you don't always get a next great player. You don't always get another Hall of Famer. You know that doesn't that doesn't always happen. Matter of fact, most of the time it doesn't happen. And the fact that they were able to do that and let these careers almost overlap, they had. I, I don't really count this season yeah. as Dirk overlapping too much but if you when you get that you, you've had a rip-roaring success mm-hmm. so uh, that'll do it for our our Mavs podcast we've had a, a Cowboys podcast and now a Mavericks podcast and both of them pretty much without our Texas sports writer of the year Evan Grant and uh and we're we're planning on having a Rangers podcast but now we're not going to have it so there's going to be no Rangers podcast uh this uh this week but we appreciate the fact that you maybe would have wanted one. Evan doesn't feel he should have to deal with us no, anymore, no, apparently. He's had enough. Do you not know how many awards I've won? <laughs> and you haven't? Yeah, that's right. So, for everybody in here and everybody out there, thanks, Brian, for running this thing for us. You did a great job, as always. We, we appreciate, appreciate you, that. Brian. Yes, we do. Kevin yeah. and I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't speak for others. No, not for the other guy in the room. So, that'll do it. Until next time, bye. Thanks for listening to the Mavericks Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.